you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. And you know what? On today's show, I want to get a little bit off script. What the heck? It's Martin Luther King Day, and happy Martin Luther King Day to all of you out there. But I've been sitting on this story back from my freshman year at Missouri involving me and actually a fellow Mizzou student happens happened to be a, a young black man, and it was about our interaction with the police. Yes, this is a story that has a bit of a surprising conclusion. So I think you'll enjoy that at the end of the show. But you know what? Before we get there, I want to talk about the bowl season in the second segment and, frankly, how college football bowl season is something that I really used to look forward to. Speaking of my college days, man, when I had winter break, Christmas break, and we could just sit around and watch nothing but bowl games, man, those were the sweet halcyon days to me. But every year it just gets a little bit less exciting. So I want to talk about that in the second segment. But to lead off the show here, hey, what do you know? The timing of some breaking Mizzou news actually worked out for me. And that news is that Blaze Aldridge, a linebacker from Rice University, first team All-Conference USA in 2019, is transferring to the Tigers for the 2021 campaign. Aldridge was a senior at Rice. He's a grad transfer. He'll have one year, immediately eligible, of course. And on paper, this seems like a really nice pickup for Mizzou. Obviously, Nick Bolton is heading off to the NFL. He was your typical weak side linebacker. So many great players from Mizzou have played that position over the years, including Sean Weatherspoon and Therese Hall, just to name a couple. But you know what? There was a big hole in this defense coming up for 2021, and we certainly hope that Blaze Aldridge will fill some, at least some of Nick Bolton's shoes. Now, Aldridge just finished up his shortened senior campaign where the Owls played only five games on the season, but in those five games, Aldridge did record 47 tackles, including three for loss and one sack, but really the 2019 campaign where he was first team All-Conference USA might really tell the, tell the tale for young Mr. Aldridge. 102 total tackles, good for sixth in the conference, but he actually led the entire conference with 21 and a half tackles for loss, including four sacks. So on paper, again, hopefully this Aldridge kid will fill in nicely in that Nick Bolton role. Ironically, somewhat undersized like Nick himself. It's listed at 6'2", 220 pounds. But you know what? He was even more of an under-the-radar prospect than Bolton, that's for sure. Aldridge initially had no Division One offers coming out of high school, had to go the junior college route before transferring to Rice as a sophomore, and obviously he's turned himself into a highly productive player at that level. So hopefully he can take that production into the Southeastern Conference as well. And speaking of the SEC and, well, breaking news, quite honestly, Tennessee 
has officially fired their head coach. Jeremy Pruitt is no more with the Volunteers, and it sounds like Philip Fulmer, their athletic director and former head coach as well, sounds like he might be in trouble too. There's been a lot of NCAA questions surrounding the Vols that have come up in the recent weeks. Let's put it that way. So, frankly, a team that beginning of the season when Missouri played them in its second game of the year was looking like the the Tennessee was trending up, in my humble opinion. But, boy, that season skidded off the tracks for them pretty quickly after they got dominated by Kentucky And now, obviously, with some fairly serious NCAA allegations here, Tennessee choosing to move on from Jeremy Pruitt. You know, Josh Ward, who's the host of Locked On Vols, he's been on this show on several occasions. And, you know, he was was frankly ready to move on from Jeremy Pruitt even before all of this went down, which frankly tells you about all you need to know. Honestly, If you're a Tennessee fan at this point, you're now looking at hiring your sixth coach since 2007. This program just needs some modicum of stability because they haven't had it in I don't know how long. It's really stunning, to be honest. A team, you know, it's they're they're very much like Nebraska in some ways. They're just never they're never probably going to get back to the glory days of of the previous century, and their fans are just having a tough time accepting it. Well. Maybe they'll finally accept it. After this After this latest fiasco involving Pruitt, well, there is no quick fix here. I think that's something that Tennessee fans may have to realize. Hire a solid coach. Hire a solid individual. But, frankly, you're never going to be up there with Alabama. I shouldn't say never, but it, it's not going to be overnight that you're suddenly back up there with Alabama and Georgia again you got to have more realistic expectations if you're Tennessee. And frankly, it's looking like now it's realistic to expect that Tennessee might be going on probation for a year or two at this rate. So that's not going to help them when looking for a coach. But you know what? It does help Missouri. It does help Eli Drinkwitz because, well, often we're, we're, di- we're diving into Tennessee. We're competing with the Vols for certain recruits. So you know what? What's bad for them is certainly good for the Tigers. And you know what? Speaking of football, let's talk just a little bit about our friends at betonline.ag. You may have noticed yesterday that the Chiefs-Cleveland Browns line was shrinking, was getting a little bit smaller as we crawled toward kickoff, which is generally not the case. But I think as people realized that Sammy Watkins and Clyde Edwards-Elair were not going to play, well, some of the Sharps were probably jumping on that Cleveland money. And indeed, Cleveland did cover the spread, but who really cares if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Well, obviously you care if you sign up for a free account at betonline.ag. And when you do, you got to use that promo code locked on to get your 50% welcome bonus. So again, you don't want to just watch the game, right? As fun as that was yesterday. You want to get in on the action. So don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And be sure to check out Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. And frankly, go listen to it ASAP. Today's episode, one of their locks is about 
a Big East basketball game that is tipping off at 1.30 this afternoon, and I'm pretty sure it involves our old friend Mike Anderson. So be sure to subscribe to Locked on Bets wherever you get your podcasts. Well, again, I teased this at the top of the show. I really have a lot of nostalgia for when bowl season mattered, particularly when I was in college, back home, just being completely lazy for about a month and just taking in all the college football I possibly could. And indeed, I think I might be the only person on the planet when I hear the song, it's, a, it's the most wonderful time of the year, I still flash back to that ESPN parody when they were talking about bowl season being the most wonderful time of the year. But frankly, the last five, ten years or so, I can't say that's the case anymore. I can no longer tell you that I look forward to bowl season as much as I did 10 to 20 years ago, and certainly I can't tell you that it's the most wonderful time of the year when so many players, prominent players, are opting out of these games. And unfortunately, like a lot of things, it seems like the great pandemic of 2020 has sped along this trend of guys opting out of bowl games. Certainly this isn't a new trend, but I think we saw it even more this past season. That was obviously a grueling 10-game SEC schedule for, for Missouri, for instance. You can't blame, can't even blame guys like Nick Bolton and Larry Borum deciding to go, ah, the heck with it, especially when obviously there was a big, big question if that game was going to be played and ultimately the Music City Bowl was not played. So no regrets there if you're either one of those players. So, of course, the question becomes, how do we get guys to play in these games? How do we incentivize players to play in these games? And how do we make these games more meaningful? Well, obviously, a big discussion point has been that, well, the college football playoff has made these game, has rendered these games mostly meaningless, all of the other bowls. And to some extent, that's true, especially the quote-unquote New Year's Six, your sort of big classic tentpole games that used to draw in huge eyeballs, huge attention, and huge pride from the schools that would make it, that's for sure. I think that part is still true. I think the schools that make those bowl games still have the pride, but it just doesn't grab the casual fans' interest anymore. So obviously if we expand the playoff, that's only going to exacerbate that problem. If you go to eight teams, you go to 16 teams, whatever it might be, well, that certainly isn't doing the bowl games any favors. And in fact, you go to 16, you might as well just eliminate the bowls at that point. Now, one proposal I've seen to try to get more prominent players to stick to these bowl games is giving out a stipend to every player on the winning team. I'd say $35,000 to each player is one thing I saw, which, frankly, I don't know how realistic that is, especially for some of these mid-level, low-tier bowl games that probably aren't making a ton of profit anyway, so I don't know where that money comes from. Perhaps it does come from just corporate sponsorship. Maybe that's more realistic than I know. I, I don't really have a big opinion on that. But something I do have a strong opinion about, and actually, this is my favorite of all the postseason plans that I've seen. This guy, Scott Docterman at The Athletic, his proposal is the following. And I think it's kind of brilliant, to be honest with you. Basically, 
go back to the old bowl system. The traditional bowl game tie-ins need to come back. So in other words, we're going to play the Rose Bowl again with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 champion. And the Big 12 champion is going to head to the Orange Bowl. The SEC champion is going to head to the Sugar Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. Let's bring back tradition. How about that? But the twist is, once all of those games are played, once January 1st has gone, well then, in Scott Docterman's proposal, then the Final Four would begin. But to me... I actually, now, first of all, I love this idea because, again, it brings back tradition. It makes these games important. And essentially, if, especially when all these games are being played on the same day, the, the, the New Year's Six, if you will, well, it makes it a lot harder for teams to, for the teams in those games to have guys who opt out. You don't know if you're going to get into that final four or not, you don't know what's going to happen in those games. Now, the only thing I might tweak a little bit, I don't even know that you need a Final Four. After you go, I'd say go modified BCS championship game from the last year. Go with a number one and a number two. Once you've played those bowl games, to me, if you can't, if you're not going to be able to find two games, two clear top teams after that, I, I just don't think the Final Four is all that necessary at that point. I think you've all, that's your de facto semifinals is the bowl season. I don't know. What do you guys think about that proposal? Because, frankly, I love it, and I was swayed almost immediately when I heard it because part of me thinks that the old BCS system was actually much more exciting for the regular season of college football, but to me, this actually is the best of both worlds. You get the excitement. You keep that excitement of the regular season a little bit more alive, in my opinion, and you still get, to me, a better a better champion, a more worthy champion when you go, again, just that one more game. If you want to go two games, I can get down with that too. But for me, just one extra game to decide a national champion, a, a, a modified BCS game, if you will, to me, that, that proposal makes all the sense in the world. But, of course, an idea that is even more of a no-brainer is the all-new and improved Built Bar that is even more delicious than it's ever been before. And I can confirm this. The good folks at Built Bar just sent me a variety pack with all of their 18 amazing flavors, including my absolute favorite. Yeah, you know what it is. It's Cherry Barcia. But I will definitely recommend that you do the exact same thing. Go to BuiltBar.com, order yourself a variety pack, unless you're really confident. You just think, nope, this is the exact flavor I want. Well, the heck, I'm not going to stop you if you're that kind of confident person. But either way, we've got you covered here at the Locked On Podcast Network because when you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and you will get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. And be sure to check out tomorrow's episode of Locked on Mizzou, where I scout the South Carolina Gamecocks basketball team before Missouri's game with Frank Martin and those Gamecocks. But you know what? I do want to end this by just a little personal story. Frankly, this has nothing to do with sports, but it does tie in to Missouri 
and sort of tangentially to, to Martin Luther King Day, just a little bit. And here's how. Well, I met my friend Bryant, my old college buddy Bryant, at Mark Twain Hall. He was my next-door neighbor, essentially, at the dorms. I can't even remember first meeting Bryant, quite honestly. I just know that at a certain point we realized, hey, we've got a lot of things in common, despite the fact that I'm a white boy from a country town in Missouri called Ashland, and, well, he's frankly a, a black guy from the south side of Chicago. Yes, I would eventually live in Chicago many years later, but not the south side. That's for darn sure. And that was really one of the best parts of my college experience is just getting to meet new people and become friends with people of various different backgrounds and races, religions, whatever it might be. Obviously an eye-opening experience. In my opinion, what it made me realize is kind of what I'd always suspected is that most people are just people, right? For as much as we're all different, we're all mostly the same. At least that's my humble opinion. But certainly, Bryant and I had incredibly different life experiences in a lot of ways. And, well, one night when he and I were hanging out at his apartment, in fact, I know exactly what day this was because it was February 17th, 2002. Because, well, this was the night, oh boy, here we go, it's a wrestling deep dive, folks, when the NWO returned to television in the WWE. And you know what? Bryant and I decided, heck, we're wrestling fans with nostalgia. Let's split that pay-per-view. And as, well, college kids who watch wrestling together, believe it or not, we may have been partaking in some semi-illegal smoking activity. Now, I'll just uh, I'll let your mind wander there. You can probably imagine what two 18-year-olds were up to at that point. But in the course of us partaking in this illegal smoking activity, well, said smoke may have veered into the hallway at Holiday House just a tiny bit. And, well, it wasn't 30 minutes into our fun little wrestling show that unfortunately we heard a at the door. And sure enough, Bryant peeks out his keyhole and says, he turns to me and says, oh, it's the cops. <laughs> and my throat falls into the pit of my stomach. I've never been more nervous, I don't think, in my entire 18 or 19 years on the planet at this point. Now, frankly, I'm going to pause the story here and just say, this really brings me to my overall point. And that's that no one really tells you how to interact with the police. Now, don't get me wrong. I remember my father, for sure, basically telling me, hey, especially when I was getting my driver's license, Hey, if you ever get pulled over by the police for speeding, for whatever it is, just be incredibly polite. Just basically kiss their butts, and hopefully it will be over soon. But honestly, I could use even more details than that because, well, there are some people that say, oh, well, when you get pulled over, you should turn off the vehicle, you should roll down your window, you should put two hands on the wheel all this other stuff, well, I don't know. I've never gotten an official rundown of all the procedures I should do when I'm pulled over by the police. But the one thing I've always stuck with is, again, just buttering them up, just being almost overly polite. So, of course, now getting back to the story. When we hear the, 
hey, it's the police. Well, I have absolutely no idea what to do in this particular situation. But fortunately, my buddy, good old Bryant, well, he was not frozen in place. He snapped into action. And he got out a shoebox and started gathering up our plant material. He got out, opened up the the sliding glass door to his patio. We're like two, three floors up. And he proceeds to fling said shoebox over into like the basically the dumpster area of the apartment behind the building. And then with that, Bryant closes said glass door, opens the door, answers the, the officer in the following fashion. He says, hello, sir. I'm, I apologize greatly. I know we've been smoking a little bit. I'm sorry. It probably, probably smelled out there. But, you know, it was just one tiny little thing. We finished it. We frankly, we've, we flushed it down the toilet. There's nothing else here. So I really apologize. We'll be done. It won't happen again, I swear. And you know what? Somehow, this white police officer actually bought that. And he was actually sympathetic to us and said, hey, okay, it's all good. Just don't let it happen again. Now, my naive white self could not believe what just happened. I could not believe that my friend just basically got rid of all the evidence and then opened the door and in a very calm and polite fashion, essentially admitted to committing a crime. (laughs) And somehow this worked. Now, again, my point in telling this story is that it was kind of a fun story, but also, again, who could have possibly known that this was going to work? I don't know how he knew that this was going to work. I don't know if he had been in this situation before. I don't know if maybe he had seen somebody else use this tactic, but by golly, it worked. I don't know how it worked, Mostly, I think he was just that he buttered him up. He was really nice to the cop. And frankly, I think the guy didn't want to take in the nice young college kids who are just trying to have some fun on a Sunday night. Frankly, I think that's another thing that we forget about is that, yes, police officers are human beings as well. They're not just political props that we either like or don't like, frankly, Sometimes I get frustrated with the cops. Other times I'm happy they're there. Depends on the situation, right? Well, regardless, police officers have feelings. They have thoughts. They're just like all of us, right? So put yourself in their shoes is my point. If you're a cop and you're going up, you have to knock on somebody's door or you have to pull somebody over, I'm sure you're a little bit freaked out too. You're always going to be a little bit scared and that in the back of your mind, something could go really wrong here. And I don't, I don't even just mean, obviously it could be beyond, not just that you could be physically harmed. Maybe an interaction could go poorly and somehow now you've been filmed and now you're public enemy number one somehow. I'm just saying, I don't think most police officers want to go viral on the internet. They certainly don't want to be accused of being abusive being racist, whatever it might be. So keeping that in mind, if you're ever interacting with a police officer, if they're knocking on your door or they're pulling you over, just disarm them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. And I guarantee you their human reaction is going to be relief because they're going to go, oh, thank God. Now, 
now this might not work for the the cop who happens to be super abusive or whatever is just in a bad mood, but you know what? It's not going to hurt. Let's put it that way. So that is my quick thoughts and opinions on how we should all interact with the police and frankly how we need more information about how to interact with the police. Not only for us so we can get through this interaction safely, but for the police themselves. Shouldn't they be wanting all of this out there just so we're all kind of on the same page so a traffic stop doesn't turn into something deadly? Yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea to me. So you know what? Thank you all for indulging me on that non-sports topic there at the end of the show. But you know what? It's Martin Luther King Day. Felt like an appropriate time to maybe get a little bit off topic. So, again, I'll see you guys tomorrow. We're going to break down South Carolina basketball. And, yes, I will hashtag stick to sports. So until then, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.